Please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. This is a passage of Scripture that I guess about every few years on average that we look at. And as I was asking questions among my family and said to them, and in particular my youngest who is 15, do you remember me preaching on this passage? Because it's been several years and she did not remember and I thought, it would be good to bring Christ magnified and glorified in the book of Leviticus to us again. And to you young ones in particular who are here, who have not been under the preaching of the word in this passage in Leviticus, to hear Christ magnified and proclaimed through this day of atonement. So, Leviticus chapter 16 The Old Covenant was filled with prophetic types and shadows pointing to Jesus in the New Covenant. They were pointers. They pointed to the coming of Christ. They pointed to the New Covenant in the blood of Christ. They were shadows as they are called in various places in Scripture, in particular in the book of Hebrews, because they were not the reality or the substance. They just were shadows of what was yet to come. But these types and shadows were instructive and they taught gospel truths in anticipation of the coming of the Savior into the world. The priests, the high priest, the temple, the articles in the temple, the holy place, the most holy place, the altar, the animal sacrifices, the feasts and festivals, the holy days. They were types and shadows of what was to come. The fulfillment of the promise of a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would redeem his people. And one of those such holy days was called Yom Kippur, which translated from Hebrew means the Day of Atonement. What is described here in Leviticus 16 is the Day of Atonement. It is also called the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 23, verses 27 and 28, and Leviticus 25, verse 9. The Day of Atonement. The word atonement is found 50 times in the New American Standard that I will be reading. It is used 15 times in the book of Leviticus 16 alone. The Day of Atonement was to be observed once a year. We see that in verse 34. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. That day and the events of that day were a shadow, a prophetic type, and a symbol of what Jesus would do on the cross. We could say that Leviticus 16 is a picture of the gospel in the Old Testament in the form of a prophetic type or symbol. What took place on the Day of Atonement was a picture of the removal of sin and the cleansing of the sinner. Look at verse 30. It says, For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to to cleanse you, You will be clean from all your sins 
before the Lord. Sin was atoned for by satisfying God's just and holy, righteous anger. This is what we call propitiation. A propitiation is an act that turns away the anger or wrath of another. It means to appease or to, as we say, to atone for. The wrath of God is against sinners. And in order for that wrath to be removed, there must be a propitiation. The Bible says in Psalm 7 verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Does God hate sin? Must God punish sin? Yes, because He is a just and righteous judge. A holy God. Our sin against God creates a debt, so to speak. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Sin is like a debt before God we cannot pay. We can pray, or or you can't, excuse me, pay for your sins. The debt is simply too great. And there's no amount of money, no amount of works, no amount of words that you can say. There's no amount of grief, no promises or vows you can make or anything else you can do to pay the price for your sin. In fact, sin pays you. It pays you the wages that your sins deserve. That's why that is the language used in Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages that sin pays is death. The guilty sinner must die. The soul who sins will die, Ezekiel 18, verse 4. And the debt is paid by the sinner's very own life. The debt of sin against God is so great that it must be paid for all eternity in hell with eternal condemnation as the sinner endures the almighty wrath of God. The only way the sinner can escape This coming eternal punishment that his sins deserve is if someone else pays the debt on his behalf. This is what is called substitutionary atonement. And this is what is pictured in Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement. The Hebrew again for Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was and is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. It always fell on a Sabbath in the late summer or early fall, and it was just celebrated about a month ago, although not the way it was described here in Leviticus 16. Not the way it was celebrated prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which was, by the way, a destruction foretold by Jesus, a destruction that demonstrated that all the Old Testament types and shadows are now obsolete, for they have been fulfilled in Christ. Yom Kippur, however, differed from other Jewish holidays and feasts in the Old Testament. Other Jewish holy days had at least some measure, and I've been using the word celebration, but that's not true of the Day of Atonement. The the other festivals had some measure of celebration and eating and drinking and laughing. 
But Yom Kippur was different. It was not a day of dancing and drinking and eating. It was actually a day of fasting. It was a day of confession of sin. And it was a day to be observed, not celebrated. So this morning, I want us to look together at the Day of Atonement found in Leviticus 16 and see how that pointed to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want us to see how this points to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, that our faith might find its resting place in Him and that we might be strengthened in our faith. So as we look at the Day of Atonement, we'll do so under these headings. The place, the person, the preparation, the sacrifices, the scapegoat, the repetition. First, let's consider the place. I'm referring to the place where the sacrifice was made in the tabernacle and then later in the temple that was built in Jerusalem. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into... Here's the place the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So here we have the place. The holy place inside the veil was called the holy of holies, or the most holy place. This is where the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence, was kept. And there was a veil, a very thick curtain, which separated what was called the holy place from the most holy place inside the veil, the holy of holies. In Exodus 26, verse 33, it says this of the veil, you shall hang up the veil under the clasps, And shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil. The veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. It served as a partition. This place called the holy of holies was a symbol of the presence of holy God. Where no man could go except one, the high priest. One time a year. In that place, the Holy of Holies, the Holy One met with an unholy one. But not without sacrifice. Not without atonement. Not without the shedding of blood. Of course, it would be Jesus who would enter the real most holy place in heaven, not a replica, a type or a shadow on earth. And he would enter not as a sinner, but as the spotless lamb slain for our sins, offering his blood for the propitiation of sin, the forgiveness of sin and our justification. It says in Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater And more perfect tabernacle, not made with with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. 
And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. So this is the place. The most holy place. But consider the person. The person involved in this type and shadow on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Only a priest could enter that place. And not just any priest, but the high priest. The high priest served as a mediator. A mediator is someone who represents someone before another. A mediator brings two parties together. And as a priest, here in Leviticus 16, Aaron was to be a mediator who would represent the people and do what God required. And those men who would follow the line of Aaron were called high priests. Only the high priests could enter the most holy place and offer this sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, Aaron and all future high priests were to act as a mediator between God and the people. And therefore, this passage is addressed to Aaron and the high priest who would follow him for years to come. This was the role of the high priest alone. He would have no aid, for there was only one mediator. There was only one high priest. And this high priest was a shadow and a type that was of what was to come, namely of Christ. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so the fulfillment of the office of the high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the last and final high priest who offered up himself as the once and for all sacrifice for sinners. So that's the place, the most holy place, and the person involved in this day of atonement, the high priest. But now consider the preparation. The preparation. The actual sacrifice doesn't begin until verse 14. However, there were preparations that had to take place before that. And the first act of preparation was for the high priest. He had to prepare himself to go before the Lord in the Holy of Holies. And that preparation included a very solemn warning, as I read in verses 1 and 2. The Lord tells Moses to tell Aaron that he can't just enter in any time. He wants to. He can't be like his sons did. There's a reference in verse 1 to the sons of Aaron who had died. If you'll turn back to Leviticus chapter 10, you'll find the accounting of that. In Leviticus 10 verses 1 to 3, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he, God, had not commanded them. And the result was fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. 
So Aaron therefore kept silent. That's what Leviticus 16 verse 1 is referring to. They came carelessly before a holy God and they came bringing what God had not commanded. They came in an unholy way and he consumed them. And so the Lord says to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. You dare not come into the presence of God in this place unless I command you or the manner in which I command you. Now why this warning? Why would there be a need for preparation before the high priest could enter into the most holy place? This highlights and emphasizes that God is holy, holy, holy. And we are sinful, sinful, sinful. We may not enter into his presence casually or carelessly. We may not enter in the presence of God on our terms. God regulates how we come before him. He regulates who may come before him, through what means we may come before him. And so therefore, on this day in which the high priest was to enter into that place by commandment of God, he had to prepare himself. And so there's a description of that beginning in verse 3. Notice the dress of the high priest, the clothing, the garb. Verse 3, Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic. The linen undergarments shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. So here there's very specific instruction of what the high priest here Aaron needed to do before he came on that day of atonement into the most holy place even down to his very garments. Now, it doesn't matter very much how you dress when you go to some places. However, there are other places, there are other occasions where it does matter. Imagine a person coming in shorts, a t-shirt, and flip-flops to a wedding. That may be an appropriate thing for a walk on the beach, but it's not appropriate for a wedding. It certainly would not be appropriate to come before a holy God. It mattered how the high priest came into the presence of God. The way he dressed, and particularly on this occasion, symbolized something. Now normally, the high priest would come into the presence of God the king with very fancy and fine clothing. Exodus 39 describes the the vestments, the clothing of the priest on other occasions. This was the normal and usual garb of a priest. He had a turban. And the turban had a plate of pure gold engraved with the inscription, Holy to the Lord. On other occasions, normally, he had a shirt that was sewn with blue, scarlet, and purple threads with real gold woven into it. His garb normally included a breastplate 
with 12 precious stones placed in fine gold settings. And normally, according to Exodus 39, he had a robe that was royal blue. And on the hem hung brightly colored pomegranates and bells made of solid gold. And then he had a sash that was of the finest workmanship, a pattern that God himself designed. And this is what the high priest wore every other day of the year, except the Day of Atonement. But on that day, the Day of Atonement, he wore all linen, a linen turban, a linen tunic, linen undergarments, a linen sash. And unlike his other clothes, every other day of the year, these clothes on the Day of Atonement did not set him apart from his fellow man. It was quite the contrary. On this day, to enter into the Holy of Holies, Aaron had to humble himself. He had to lay aside the dignity of his office as high priest, and he had to come before the Lord like any other man. Now, in one sense, the high priest was a special man. But in another sense, on this day, he had to be made like his brethren. On this day, the high priest humbled himself. In this way, the high priest was a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this humiliation of Aaron was nothing compared to what Jesus Christ, the high priest, would do. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But John tells us in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, the Apostle Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the humiliation of Jesus. It began at his incarnation. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. The writer to the Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, He might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. To do what? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Charles Spurgeon 
preached a sermon in 1856 on this Day of Atonement. And he said this, Jesus Christ then, when he made atonement, was a humbled priest. He did not make atonement arrayed in all the glories of his ancient throne in heaven. Upon his brow there was no diadem save the crown of thorns. Around him was cast no purple robe save that which he wore for a time in mockery. On his head was no scepter save the reed which they thrust in cruel contempt upon him. He had no sandals of pure gold. Neither was he dressed as a king. He had none of those splendors about him which should make him mighty and distinguished among men. He came out, of, out in his simple body, in his naked body, for they stripped him off even the common robe from him and made him hang before God's Son and God's universe naked to his shame and to the disgrace of those who chose to do so cruel and dastardly a deed. O oh, my soul, adore thy Jesus, who when he had made atonement, humbled himself and wrapped around him a garb of thine inferior clay. O oh, angels, ye can understand what the glories that he laid aside. O oh, thrones and principalities and powers, ye can tell what was the diadem with with which he was dispensed, and what the robes he laid aside to wrap himself in earthly garbs. But men, ye can scarcely tell how glorious is your high priest now. And ye can scarce tell how glorious he was before, but oh, adore him. For on that day, it was the simple, clean linen of his own body, of his own humanity, in which he made atonement for your sins. So even the dress, the high priest on this day, was typological, was prophetic as it pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. But consider what he also had to do before he could approach God in the Holy of Holies. Consider verse 4 at the end, it says... And he shall bathe his body in water and then put on those linen garments. Consider the bath. Aaron was unclean. I don't mean he had dirt on his body. I mean he was a sinner. And this bath that is commanded at the end of verse 4 signifies the sinfulness, the uncleanness of Aaron. It signified and symbolized that Aaron had to be made clean before he could enter into the presence of God. But water cannot purify. It too was a type and a shadow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Revelation 7 verse 14 speaks of those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 1 John 1, 7 says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This washing was symbolic. This high priest was a sinner. But as we'll see in a moment, the contrast between Aaron and Christ, for he was not a sinner. If we're to be reconciled to God, we must be washed in the blood of Christ, 
not the water of ceremonial washings. But Aaron had to prepare himself. So there is the place where he entered. There's the person who served as the mediator. There was necessary preparation for that mediator. But now consider the sacrifices. The sacrifices. Follow along as I read verses 5 through 19. He, that is Aaron the high priest, shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So three animals, two goats for a sin offering. We'll see what that's for in a moment. And one ram for a burnt offering. Verse 6, Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Another one, one goat would be sacrificed, as we'll see in a moment. The other would be what's called a scapegoat that would be set free, symbolizing expiation of our sins. Verse 10. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive. Did I skip verse 9? I did. Then, verse 9, Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell to make a sin offering. That would be the one that we'll see in a moment. That will be, his blood will be shed for propitiation. But then expiation, verse 10. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony, otherwise he will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also, in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. And bring its blood inside the veil. And do with its blood as he did with the, bull, the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel. And because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he, come, when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat 
and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it. And from the impurities of the sons of Israel, Israel consecrate it. So in verses 11 to 14, you have a sacrifice for Aaron and his household. And verses 15 to 19, a sacrifice for the people. And all this demonstrated the need for a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners to bear the wrath that sinners deserved. This was a bloody day. Why? Remember, the wages of sin is death. And there had to be propitiation for sinners and their sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. But of course the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. They were only types and shadows. Hebrews 10 says this, For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, the Day of Atonement, again, was a type, a shadow pointing to the reality that was to come. You might say it was a kind of rehearsal for the real thing. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Colossians 2.17 speaks of things which are a mere shadow of that which is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And the shedding of this blood pointed to the one who would shed his blood, the one who could propitiate for sin and sinners, the one who could redeem. Peter calls it precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1, verse 19. It would be precious, valuable blood of great worth because it was efficacious and effective. It was precious because it would be the blood, not of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when we read of this Day of Atonement and all the blood that's shed and the sprinkling of blood for impurities, for sin, for Aaron, his household, and the people of Israel, we should think of what Christ came to do. Again, Charles Spurgeon points us to Christ when he says, Next, behold the goat that destiny has marked out to make the atonement. Come and see it die as he... He tries to bring us into that place and, and understand what was taking place and, and the bloodiness of it and what it foretold. He said, the priest stabs it. Mark it in its agonies. Behold, it struggles for a moment. Observe the blood as it gushes forth. But then he says, Christians, ye have here your Savior. Pointing to Christ. See his father's vengeful sword sheathed in his heart. Behold Christ's death agonies 
See the clammy sweat upon his brow. Mark his tongue cleaving to the roof of his mouth. Hear his sighs and groans upon the cross. Hark to his shriek, Eli, Eli, Yama, Sabachthani. And you have more now to think than you could have if you only stood to see the death of a goat for your atonement. Mark the blood as from his wounded hands it flows, and from his feet it finds a channel to the earth. From his open side in one great river, see his blood gush. As the blood of the goat made atonement typically, meaning typologically, so Christian, your Savior dying for you made the great atonement for your sins that you may go free. In Him we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. This is why prophetically John the Baptist would see Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God. Hebrews 9 verses 11 and 12 says it this way, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. But the blood of Jesus cleanses from all unrighteousness. This is propitiation. But remember, there was another goat called the scapegoat. One goat dies. The other goat goes free. What happened to the goat that lived? The one upon whom the lot fell that he could live? Well, it tells us in verses 20 to 22. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Again, a very instructive picture of what happens in our salvation. Aaron laid his hands on the goat. It was a symbol of the imputation of sin to that goat symbolically. And he would confess the sins of the people as he laid his hands on that goat. Again, symbolizing that that is being imputed to that goat. Sins were confessed. And all the sins were laid on that goat symbolically. And then the goat was led far away and released into the wilderness. Verse 22, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land 
and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. And, and as he would release the goat, the goat would run away, and the goat would get smaller and smaller until the goat was like a little dot and then disappear. And the goat which represented the sins of the people was then gone. What a picture of forgiveness. The sins were removed and forgotten. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, and the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far, he has removed our transgressions from us. This is the picture of the scapegoat. In the one that was slain, we have the picture of propitiation, wrath satisfied, a substitutionary sacrifice. But in the live goat set free in the wilderness, expiation, sins and guilt removed far from us so that we bear it no more. And that's what we sing about when we say, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. But I want you to notice the repetition of this day of atonement. I read it earlier in verse 34. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And the, the repetition was a reminder of sin. And it was a reminder of the consequences of sin over and over again because sinners are prone to forget their sin. They're prone to go about their lives as if there were no consequences. But the repetition was a reminder of sin. It was a reminder of the inability of the blood of goats to take away sin. And it was a reminder that there was a need for one who would come and would be the once and for all time sacrifice for sinners. It pointed to the day of atonement. The day of atonement was the day that Jesus hung on the cross. It was the day that Jesus died. In his redemptive work, Jesus, the high priest, the mediator, laid down his life and shed his blood as the fulfillment of all the types and shadows, all the animals that were slain years past. And on that day of atonement, he himself, once and for all time, laid down his life for sinners. 
And in this sense, Jesus, therefore, is the high priest. He's the fulfillment of these things. Superior to Moses, superior to Aaron, superior to all the ceremonial laws and types and shadows, for he is the fulfillment of these things. Let me briefly demonstrate how Jesus is the fulfillment and is superior. The high priest had to offer up a sacrifice for his own sin, but not Jesus. Jesus was without sin. Hebrews 7.26, For it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Holy, innocent, undefiled. The one who knew no sin. The spotless lamb. The high priest could not remain in the holy of holies. Jesus remains forever in the presence of the Father to plead His blood. Hebrews 9 verse 7, But into the second, the holy of holies behind the veil, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people. So Aaron and the high priest to follow would enter and then leave. A year later, enter and then leave. Aaron could not take a chair. He was a sinner who could not remain in the presence of God in the most holy place, but yet Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 1 verse 3, He's the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. He upholds all things by the word of His power. And when He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Seated, seated at God's right hand is a place of glory, of authority. And God the Father exalts him, but it's also a picture of the completion of his work. He sits down. He is sat down at the right hand of God. The high priest entered into a temporary earthly temple. Jesus entered into heaven itself, according to Hebrews 9.24. The high priest had to repeat the sacrifice year after year, but the sacrifice of Jesus was once and for all time, Hebrews 9, 25 and 26. The high priest died. Jesus lives forever. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 23, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And the high priests... And the Old Covenant could not prepare the way for others to enter the Holy of Holies. But Jesus was the forerunner who paves the way for us to enter that most holy place. For when he died, Jesus miraculously, or excuse me, God the Father miraculously, tears the veil of the temple in two, according to Matthew 27, 51. It was miraculous. It was torn from top to bottom. And as he breathed his last, this thick partition, 
is torn in two. For now we, through Christ, have access to the most holy place. And one day we will be in the immediate presence of the Holy One, without wrath, without fear, but only joy and worship. Yes, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the most sacred day on the Jewish calendar. For on that day, the priest stripped off his garments to come into God's presence for Israel to offer up sacrifice for their sins. But the most holy day for believers, for Christians, was the day when Jesus was stripped of his garments, beaten and bruised, humbled and nailed to a cross. For on that day, Jesus was once and for all time sacrificed for our sins. The Day of Atonement happened when Jesus hung on the cross. For Christ died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust so that He might bring us to God. Believers, be strengthened by these things. The Savior has come. Christ Jesus came into the world to save and rescue sinners such as we. But oh, for those of you who are here, who have been unbelieving, be unbelieving no longer. Look to Christ, who humbled himself for sinners, and lay hold of Christ. Find rest for your weary souls, burdened by the guilt of your sin. And the one who came to be the propitiation, to satisfy the wrath that your sins deserve, but also to be the scapegoat to remove them far from you. Look to Christ and believe upon Him. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank You for the Lamb who came from heaven to earth to fulfill all righteousness to be our righteousness, to be the one who would be sacrificed, the propitiation for our sins, and shed His precious blood for us. Our faith, our hope, our trust is in Him and Him alone. For He is our life. He is our hope. He is our redemption. He is our justification. Christ is all for us. He is our high priest. He is our advocate, our Savior, and our Lord. Lord, increase our love for Him. Lord, increase our faith even to rest in His finished work. And Father, I do pray for those who are here even now. God, I pray their consciences would not be clear There would be an unrest in their souls, a conviction of sin, a fear of wrath and judgment that is to come, but that they would find rest for their souls by believing on the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that they would turn to Him even now. 
Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace that you would save any sinner, for we all are deserving of your eternal wrath. But through Christ, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses, the cleansing of our souls and our consciences, and eternal life. Amen.